0: And I won't back down. There ain't no easy way around it, is there? <laughs> Love it. How are you doing with that? You know, that, that I won't back down thing. I was singing it. It's harder to do it out there, isn't it? Yeah, I won't back down. Seven weeks since uh, Easter, and I suspect a lot of us were saying, I won't back down. I ain't going to. No easy way around, but I'm not going to back down. How are you doing with that? Some of you may have come to a point in your life where you said yes to Jesus for the first time, and you crossed over that line, and you said, I'm going to follow after him, and you said, in essence, I won't back down. That's what he's called me to be, and I'm going to be that. How are you doing with that? Hmm. Or others of us came to a point where we recognized something in life that we really needed to get under control and needed to deal with, and we said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, Lord. You know, in light of the resurrection, and if you've got the power for the resurrection, then I'll bet I can do that. I won't back down. How are you doing with that? It's a lot easier to sing it, and I'm no singer, but I can sing when they sing, and I can say, I won't back down. I think Easter is a little bit like vacation. It's really nice to be there. But then you have to come back, and you have to live life. And living life in other places around the territory is not so easy, is it? Whatever your spot in life. And some people seem to do it better than others. Now, I'm not sure I know all the reasons why some do it better than others. But I know one thing that matters. I think attitude matters. And I'm not a fan of Clement Stone, but I read something he said about attitude, and I said, man, this is a truth. He said, there's little difference in people, but that little difference makes a big difference. The little difference is attitude. The big difference is whether it's positive or negative. So I ask, what's your attitude toward the giants that you face? And I use giants because we're going to go to a passage in Scripture where the opponents, where the enemy seemed like they were giants, and some of them were giants, to be truthful. What's your attitude? Is the glass half full or is it half empty? It makes a big difference when you face the giants on Monday morning or Saturday night or any other time in, the, in your life. Lots of times we feel like the Israelites, as they were traveling from, from Egypt to Canaan, we feel like grasshoppers. And they said that because they were facing these people who seemed like they were overwhelming in terms of their strength and power and size. We're going to be watching them as they go through an exercise in Kadesh Barnea on the southern side of the land of Canaan, which they were headed for, and we're going to watch especially where two men, Caleb and Joshua, stood out from the rest. So I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bibles or in your phone, you turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. It'll be on the screen as well, but I'm going to get it from Numbers chapter 13, and you might want to as well. Chapter 13 of Numbers, let me just get that for a minute here. I'll read the first three verses, then I'll skip because I'll mispronounce the words and I'll get all mixed up. And we'll go down to verse 17 after the first three. It kind of sets the scene. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Then it goes through uh, a bunch of names from the tribes, 12 tribes 12 men verse 17 when moses sent them to explore canaan he said go up through the negev and on the hill into the hill country see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak few or many what kind of land do they live in is it good or bad what kind of towns do they live in are they unwalled or fortified how's the soil is it fertile or poor are the trees in it or not do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land it was the season for the first ripe grapes So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward labo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Telmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eskol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes and two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account, we went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Ammonites. Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb, speaking for him and Joshua, silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So that's the picture. Those are the giants that the people of Israel faced as they traveled from one place to another. Joshua and Caleb stand out as the two guys out of the 12 who trusted God and saw what could be done if they would trust God as they went up into the land. Let's look at the giants that they faced for just a minute if we can because it's important that we take a look at them. And notice as you do that, that God's people are on the on the road, and notice also that it's when we move forward in obedience to God that the giants are going to show up, because if we're not moving forward, they don't have any reason to show up. So what's happening here is in absolutely normal. What God tells them to do is, uh, as they have left the land of Israel with maybe two million people, it's a large group of people, two, men, two million men, women, children, and their their servants and slaves uh, who are with them, they left and they went, led by Moses, and they have passed through the desert of Sinai. And it's not been an easy trip, and they have not done everything they were supposed to do, but like we see so often in Scripture, God is faithful to His promise, and He's faithful to His people, and He sticks with them, and He hangs in there with them in spite of the fact that they thunder their nose at Him at times. Now they're, as I said, on that southern edge of Canaan, and all they have to do is go north, And and they're they're going to go north to find out what's up there. And as they go up there, they're going to come back with a report, and they're going to tell Moses what we should do in terms of how we go forward from here. So God gives his people the marching orders, and he does it through Moses. And he says, basically, you need 12 spies. And those 12 spies can be representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel. They have to be men, but they have to be the leaders. They have to be the cream of the crop. and, And realize that when we count just men in the people of Israel. We're probably counting around 600,000 men. So when you take 12 out of 600,000, that's, a, that's the cream of the crop. These are the very best. and They're entrusted with this project of going north into the land to find out what's there. Take a look at the people. How many are there? What are they like? What is their size? What is their weaponry? What can they do to defend themselves? Uh, take a look, if you would, at the cities. What's going on in the cities? Are they, are they camps around a central well, perhaps? Or are they fortresses so they have walls and and as a result they can fight against us more effectively? And then finally, take a look at the fruit of the land. We've been told by God that it's going to be good and rich and and wonderful. So come back with a report and tell us what's going on in terms of those three areas. So those 12 men go up and they come back and they report. Naturally, they return and report. The majority say the glass is half empty. Just a little bit in that glass. In fact, when we looked at them, we didn't want to go back for anything. They had the majority report. That's what they chose to do. They chose to look at the giants rather than at the living God who wanted to send them north to take care of the giants and take over the land. In fact, I read it before, let me say it again, we seemed like grasshoppers. We seemed that way in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. But, Wait a minute, there's a minority report too. And the minority report, just two guys out of the twelve, not very heavy load there, is it? It's only two out of twelve. Say, no, no, wait a minute. We trust God, we can go forward. We can we can move into the land. That's what they say. The glass is half full. So there you get the contrast in attitudes between the one who says, or the ten who say, no, we we it's nice up there. Got great, great fruit in the land but we, we just can't do it. We, we just can't go. God's intent is for them to take the land, remember. Now, we're at a point where the people have to choose sides. We're going to take the majority, we're going to take the minority. The majority says no, the minority says yes, we can do it. And you know as well as I do that they choose the majority report. They say no. Now, One of the things you reflect on when you look at that scenario is you realize it's always easier to say no when a choice comes forward because if you say no, you can say yes later. So you you naturally, it's kind of our default. We go back to no because if I say yes, well, that means I have to do something, get off off my chair and, and, and go do something. But if I say no, I'm really saying not now, you know? So later I have the chance to change that and do what God wants me to do. Beware of that. Great theologian and philosopher Snoopy says, all of Earth's creatures have hidden within their beings a wild, uncontrollable urge to punt. <laughs> that's what the no is. It's to punt. I'm not going to go for the goal. We're not touched in, No, we'll get the three points. That's fine. And what's, what's really interesting is when the times are difficult, what you had looks all the better. You know, and we forget what it was like back there. They forgot. They said, oh, man, remember what we had back in Egypt? No, they're not remembering what they had in Egypt. They were slaves. They had masters over them who beat them and took advantage of them. They're not remembering. They're skipping a couple of generations back to the days of Joseph. Oh, it was good then, but it wasn't good when they left Egypt. But that's what happens when you don't want to go forward. You start remembering the way it used to be, and it seems like it used to be really good, when the truth is it wasn't so good. It's a tough picture when you look at the Scriptures here. It's uh, a lot of disappointment, a lot of sadness, because they have uh, they have backed down. I met a guy the other day, a month ago, I guess. Met with him a couple times. He's... Uh, I mean, he's, if I could be jealous, I'd probably be jealous of him uh, until I heard his whole story, and then I realized, no, I'm not going to be jealous of him, so I'll be who I am. He's a West Point grad. He's a, he was an Army Ranger. He's seen combat. He's led men into danger and, and into battle. He's done all kinds of things. Now now he's out of the Army, and he's a business consultant, and he goes to these top-level companies, and he's figuring out things that I don't even know how to how to begin to think about, and he's coming back to them with the answers. His team works on it, and they come back with answers. And I don't even know where to start, but this man came to me because he's caught up with methamphetamines, and he wants to quit, and he wants to change his life. I don't know anything about methamphetamines. I never, 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 just never, but I listen to his story, and I see his face in a giant, and I'll tell you why. I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't people who are facing that giant right here at Renaissance or at my church that I ministered to for 30 years, Millington Baptist, or the interim places that I've gone to minister. I mean, it's it's woven through our society. It's through our culture. This man's beaten down because he can't get control of that. In fact, when I let him off at his house the first time I met him, he wanted me to come in, but I... I was afraid to go in. I didn't know what was going to happen if I went inside, so I said, no, i got to keep going and go home. He says, wait a minute, i got something for you. He went into the house and came out of the house with a package of uh, unused needles. He said, get rid of these for me. And I I said, yeah, I will. And then I drove away, and I think, what am I going to do with these things? If somebody stops me, what am I going to do? How do I explain this? (laughs) So I went to the hospital, and they took him. They said, yeah, we'll take him, no problem. He's caught with a giant. And don't we all face giants? And and, you know, you can name them yourself, materialism, and credit cards, and and drugs, and and conflict, and uh, decisions that need to be made, but I just can't make them, so I wait until tomorrow, and they're the giants in our lives. And the giants in our lives are simply those things that keep us from fulfilling the calling of God for our lives and and the responsibilities that we have for other people that depend on us to do the right thing. And that can be a whole host of people from the business world that work for us or that are above us, to our families, to our kids, to our friends in church. But what we do, you know, you walk down the road and you start on that road uh, of what God calls you to be and to do, and you see that they just come from nowhere. And they're persistent and they always show up. And they're, every Monday morning they're there or every Saturday night they're there or every Sunday afternoon or sometime. They're always there. They just never seem to disappear. What do you do with those giants? The question is not do we have giants. The question is how do we deal with our giants? That's really what I want to get down to. And I see patterns here with these men. And I've, I've worked those patterns in my own life for years now. But I've realized that I've got to work those patterns for the rest of my life until I stand face to face with Jesus, I gotta work those patterns. And this is where the power of the resurrection comes to bear in the life of one man, and maybe it comes to bear in your life as well, because you've got the giants and you've got to work the patterns. And they're not easy to do, and, and, and they don't come automatically, but I'll tell you what, you've got to work the patterns. Let me tell you what the patterns are. There's four steps in the patterns, to be worked over and over and over again, and then to go back again to them, and then to go back and then to go live them out again. Let me talk about those patterns that I think we have to live out if we're going to deal with our giants. And I speak from my own experience and the experience I've seen with other people. The first thing I've got to do is I've got to name the giant. I've got, I got to get a name on that giant. I've got to figure out what it is that's causing me to trip over the same spot in the road. Every time I seem to get there, I trip there. What is that? And, 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 and let me, it's not alcohol. It's not credit cards. It's not arguments with my wife. It's something beneath that, you know what I mean? That, that makes alcohol a problem, or makes discussion with my wife a problem, or makes credit cards a problem. To just resolve it with alcohol, or one of the other things in life, is really not going deep enough under the surface. It's like having a rash on your arm and going to the dock and say, fix the rash. Well, you want more than simply a salve to fix the rash, though that might be a part of the problem and part of the cure, but you want something that goes deeper into your body to find out why there's a rash there, why the lump is appearing. I don't care about the lump, I care about what's causing the lump. And that's what I want the doc to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, a lot of us need help with that. Because it's easy to determine what the problem is as it works its way out. But it's, it's hard to figure out why I have that problem. What I exhibit before my eyes and others' eyes. I had a, a lifelong problem with pleasing people. I, I didn't know that. I just thought I was being a nice guy. <laughs> you know? But I was being a nice guy to too many people. So when people had conflict, I wanted to be a nice guy to both of them. And so I couldn't determine what was the right way to go. And I, I finally got to a point where I couldn't live that way anymore, and so I got some help. And, and we drove all the way back to my childhood, which is where a lot of this starts, and we figured out why I, I live to please people. And it, and it wasn't until I, I, I finally got a handle on why I live to please people that I could then remedy the problem. Now, it doesn't disappear and it doesn't make it easy. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that. But boy, I'll tell you what, it helped. I knew what I was doing, and a lot of other people knew what I was doing. But I had to know why. And what I needed was somebody to help me with why. The book of James talks about confessing your sins to one another. And you know as well as I do that that's not just something that I have to do with a professional or with a minister or so, that, the, the reason behind that is so that, so that I can get to the wise, so that I can talk to the right people. Now, it might be my friend, it might be my spouse, although sometimes we're so so funny-wired that it doesn't work with a spouse. And it really has to be somebody else. It really had to be somebody else with me. For me, it was a professional. Maybe it's not for you. But, but I had to come to a place where I was willing to talk to somebody and be honest with them about what was missing in life, and they, na- they, had to, they had to have the courage and they had to have the knowledge or the intuition to ask me the right questions and to push me a bit. So I could finally get to the why that's what I needed to do to name the giant. And I don't know how to get down the road until I named the giant. They went up north, they, did you see the names? All the tribes they named, they named the giants and they described them, so you name your giant. The second thing I've had to do and I I continue to need to do is I I need to draw close to God. And and I pause on this because I I need to draw close to God to see two aspects of God. One aspect is I need to see His power. I I need to know that He can can take care of me. Now, Joshua and Caleb, they had a secret, and this was the secret. They knew God. And they knew Him in His power, but they also knew Him in his love they knew that he could take care of them and they knew that he cared about taking care of them and i, I got to somehow draw close to god in such a manner that i learned something about his power and his care for me joshua and caleb numbers chapter 14 if the lord is pleased with us he will lead us into that land a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us only do not rebel against the lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. That's his power. That's his strength. He can overwhelm them. Yeah, they're giants. They weren't blind. They they weren't naive. They knew the power that was arrayed against them, but but still they knew that God's power was greater than that. And they somehow in the process of drawing close to God had come to the knowledge of, of God's compassion and God's care. That, that he really he really wants to help me. He doesn't like to see me struggle. He doesn't like to see me defeated. He wants to help me. In fact, if he, if he can get a hold of that idea, not only God's power, but God's care and concern, I tell you what, you begin to think like the Apostle Paul was thinking after he talked about the power of God in, in, in drawing us to life, in, in providing for our forgiveness and our pardon. Then he says something that really reflects the The care of God. If God is for us, he says in Romans chapter 8, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? See, if he cares enough to send his son, Paul's reasoning is, what's he going to withhold? I mean, he paid $3 million for us. He's going to withhold $100? You have to be kidding, of course he's gonna take care of us. That's what I'm talking about, is drawing close to God in the sense that I begin to absorb not only his great power, but I I, I begin to absorb likewise that he he doesn't like to see me struggle. He doesn't like to see me defeated. He likes to see me thrive because he's my father. So I've got to name the giant, I've got to, uh, I've got to draw close to God, and, and then I've got to lay out my strategy. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do Monday morning, and I've got to figure out what I'm going to do Saturday night, because that's when the giants appear. So, so I, I need a plan to deal with that, that touch point, that, that spot in life where the enemy seems to always show up. And I've got to have a plan. And, and listen, if I don't have a plan, then I've got another problem. And it's called procrastination and fear. Now, now, in drawing close to God, what He's going to do is He's going to give me ideas about the plan. And, and as I talk to somebody else, they're going to give me ideas about the plan. See, the, th- the things I'm talking about really work together. They're not separate off in the corner by themselves. They, they really work together as, as, as I get to know Him and His fullness, and as I, as I talk to the right people. And, and begin to explore options. Then I begin to build a strategy. Israel, <laughs> people of Israel, they failed to go north when they took the majority report of 10 people and God brought judgment on them. And God was gonna start fresh. He was gonna wipe them out and start with the new people. Moses said, oh God, don't do that. And so God said, okay, I won't do that. They had to hear that. They had to know that they were living on the edge. So after they failed the first time, what'd they do? Well, they rushed into the north. They went straight north, but they didn't consult with God. See, you never never get to a place where my plan is all settled. I'm going to pursue it. No, I'm always having to go back to headquarters and find out, is this what you want me to do now? Is this the right time for this? I know it was okay before, but is it okay now? Okay? So build a plan. And then finally... Step forward with a step of faith. Take, take the first step. There, there was a time when the people of Israel were being crushed by the advancing Egyptian uh, soldiers as they left the land of Egypt. And Moses was instructed in Exodus chapter 14, it's recorded, to, to raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. What was necessary for them to go through the sea on dry ground? Got to hold the staff out, Moses. Got to take the step. You trust me? Okay, well then hold the staff out. And if the staff is held out, then the waters part and it gets dry. And there's some sense in which I need to take that step. God's informed me. I've been instructed. I understand. I've drawn close to him. (laughs) I got my strategy. I can't just sit back in my easy chair and say, okay, God, bring it on. Now he's going to say, no, you bring it on. In fact, when the Israelites got around the corner up to the east side of the land of Israel and they wanted to go across the Jordan, something like that happened. Joshua instructed them, as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, the waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. They did, and God did. They put their feet in the water, and God parted the sea. God parted the waters of the Jordan. Did they have to do it? Yeah, they had to do it. Yeah, they had to do it. God is looking for us to take the step to implement what he's told us to do. Some of you may be Civil War buffs. I'm a little bit of that, and so I I know something about it. General George McClellan, everybody who knows McClellan knows that McClellan was a brilliant strategist. He knew exactly what needed to be done by the Northern armies, but he wouldn't implement it. He had all the ideas, but he wanted to stay in his ivory tower and not put it into effect. He wouldn't, as it were, raise the staff. He he wouldn't, as it were, put his foot in the water. And so Lincoln had to replace him with another general who would go forward probably with the same plans that McClellan had, but who would take the steps that were necessary to put it into effect. We get stuck. We get stuck. And we come back over and over again with, oh man, I did it again, Lord. I just wish I hadn't done it. So sorry I did it. Please forgive me. And God forgives us and we go out again. But no, wait a minute. You don't want to be stuck like that. So I'd ask you to take the the one idea that's come to your mind as we started to talk about giants, and I, I suspect that the idea has come for most of us, something that we've dealt with over the years and we've not been very effective in dealing with. Take that one idea and go through these things one by one and ask yourself, do I know who the giant is, what the giant is that causes me to do this? And if I don't know, then my first step is going to have to be, I've got to find out. I've got to figure that out and I'm going to get the help I need to figure it out. It might be my wife or my husband, or it might be my friend, but whoever it is, if it's a professional counselor like it was for me, then then that's fine. I'm going to do it because I'm sick of being stuck. And then I'm going to get to know this God in a deeper way, His power, His love. And I'm not going to do that on one Sunday morning. I'm going to do that repeatedly over and over and over again so that I can become something like a sponge, and that sponge can sop up, this, this picture of God as being powerful, but as caring for me, as being, being precious to me, and me being precious to him who wants to help me. And as I do that, it's going to emerge, that, that plan, that strategy that I need to follow after. And, and by golly, I'm going to take the first step. You know what that step is? Figure it out. You know what that giant is? Figure it out. Don't leave here without a commitment to say, Lord, I'm going to take the step. First step, Lord, I'm going to take the first step because I don't want to live this way any longer. And the resurrection power that we talked about back on Easter, I want that applied to this and to my life. So I'm going to take the step you've told me to take. Commit that to God. Let me pray for you, please. Your precious Father, Lord, that, that, like the Israelites, you give us time after time after time after time, but we don't want to come back again with the same old thing except to thank you for the victories that you've given us. So, Lord, as men and women are isolating that, that giant I'm trying to figure out what that is, Lord, would you guide? Would you teach us how to take the first step and give us the courage that we need and, and, and cause us, Lord, to get off our chairs onto the road, taking the steps we need to take. Thank you for what you're going to do in these days and in the days ahead as we continue down this path. For we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.